Hey folks, welcome to episode 66 of the FLW Podcast. In Benton, Kentucky, I'm Jody White. In Hopkins, Minnesota, it's Kyle Wood. What's up, Jody? I tell you what, it is not freezing cold today. When I walked into the office this morning, <laughs> I was sort of I was sort of feeling it. I was like, you know what? I can I can sense spring. I think I heard like a blackbird or something. <laughs> I, I I'm semi-optimistic that get, it's going to unfreeze at some point in time. You guys still have a bunch of snow? We do. We've still got probably, I don't know, four to six inches on the ground. A lot of it sort of got, we had some ice over the weekend, so a lot of it got iced down. It's real crusty and kind of old and tired-looking snow, but it is still there. I think Man. it'll be gone by the weekend, though. Well, that's good. You guys still have more snow than we do, but I think it's, I still think it's hilarious that you moved down to Kentucky from the Minneapolis office to get away from winter and fish a lot more. And you guys seem like you're getting a pretty serious winter down there this year. Yeah, we are. Uh, I will say I'm pretty sure this is like historically one of the snowiest, more harsher winters <laughs> that Kentucky has had. And I've moved – so I've moved three times now. I've moved to Virginia for school. Yep. And then I've moved to Minnesota. And now to Kentucky. Each of those times, the first year I got there, had one of the harshest winters on record. <laughs> uh, so basically what I'm saying is you do not uh, you do not want me to move to where you live. Oh, yeah. Don't move to, like, uh, Phoenix or anything like that. They'll freak out. It, it would be a disaster for sure. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, we've, you know, besides, besides the fact that I bring snow, I think we've got I think we've got a pretty good show for you this week. A lot oh, yeah. of times we were, you know, we'll we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about, and that's right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we'll talk about what's going on with us. Then we have an interview set up with uh, Van Souls. He's a rookie this year on tour. He's as local as it gets for Toho. We haven't recorded that yet, but I can tell you from talking to him on the phone yesterday, I think it should be a pretty fun interview, and you should learn a lot about Toho. We've got some news to wrap up uh, from college fishing on Texoma. We have a new world record spotted bass. Uh, we've got some FLW sponsor news. Kyle and I are just going to sit down and talk Toho a little bit. We've got Kevin Hunt to come on, talk a little bit about the college fishing open, the BFL weekly update, uh, and then that's that's pretty much it. We'll probably talk a little more Toho, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, then that'll be a wrap. So, Kyle, you uh, you went fishing this weekend. You actually, you got out. I did. You, I, I believe, froze multiple appendages off, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a little brisk this weekend. Went up, uh, went up north to my cabin with some some friends, and uh, we fished for a couple days. It was on Friday. It was like twenty five, and snowing a little bit. It's kind of nice. We went and chased some crappies. Didn't find any super big ones, but we caught a few good ones. And then that night proceeded to catch a bunch of eel pout, which was awesome. Eel pout, also uh, known as burbot, also known as anything else? Uh, the poor man's lobster. Okay. Uh, I think they're also called uh, a liar fish, lawyer fish. All right. Because you, you, you believe you have 
the world's largest walleye, which is what I thought when I first hooked one. They bite just like a walleye. They fight just like a walleye. Only they're super snaky, and usually their tail comes up the hole first because they're all wrapped in a ball, and that's not what you want to see. Okay. But I, I think they're cool fish. I, I have always wanted to catch one. I never have. Um, I'm telling you, man, I'm dialed in right now. So you go on ahead and come up here. We'll get out on a sweet pout bite. Okay. Well, I love that you're dialed in on them, but I am so not going to do that. <laughs> you just really all you need is the glowiest thing you got, like the biggest glowiest jig you have, and you just put it down near the bottom and jig it a little bit, and they'll absolutely crush it. Okay. Well, I tell you what, they've got them in they've got them in Champlain, and I know I've been told how to catch them in the summertime there. I've been told the specific humps you need to go to and what you need to mm-hmm. do to catch them. you got to fish for them at night, but if you use, like, night crawlers, maybe these glow jigs out on a few hum- few deep humps, I'm told how to do it. So I'm covering the Rayvac there. I'm going to be spending, like, a week up on Champlain after that to see family and catch bass. I, every year I tell myself I'm going to do it. Maybe this is the year. You should do it. Yeah, you should get you some glow jigs. And some crawlers or dead minnows or leeches or whatever. Throw it out there and see what happens. All right. Now you're dialed in on these uh, these pout, but did you uh, did you catch the big pike that you were kind of going for? Um, I, we caught a couple good ones. Uh, I would say nothing to the caliber I was expecting. We caught a couple that were probably uh, 36 to 38, 39 inches somewhere in there, but they were kind of skinny. And the bite was real slow. We were using uh, dead bait. We were using frozen Cisco's, uh, which I guess to anyone that doesn't know what a Cisco is, it's like a shiner, I guess, northern version of a shiner. A little bit and, bigger, though, aren't they? Uh, yeah, but not super big. Okay. They're not like whitefish or tulipy status. Uh, or not like a whitefish. But anyway, we're using dead bait, and that's what most of the big bites were coming on, the bigger northerns. And usually when that happens, it's a pretty slow bite. And we had, when I woke up Saturday morning, we went out fishing. It was, I think it was like 15 degrees. And by the end of the day, the wind was blowing like 35 miles an hour out of the north. And it got down. It was like 38 below wind chill. I think it was like 20 below air temp. And then that night, it was like 50 below (laughs) with the wind chill. So it got real cold. And that that's my version of like a really bad cold front. So the fishing was a little little tougher. And then on Sunday we went and chased some big bluegills around and same thing, it was super windy, super cold. So we couldn't hole hop around as much as we wanted or cover as much ground. But we found a few decent bluegills. I tried taking photos uh to post on Instagram. At you know, Kyle Lumber. Instagram going, at Kyle Lumber. <laughs> uh but my phone actually turned off pretty much every time I took it out of my pocket. <laughs> And then when I would, the lens would actually freeze up from condensation. So I didn't get any good photos to post of pretty much any of these fish. All right. Well, I tell you what. At least, uh, at least you were out there. At least you were catching fish, and you had a much, you had a much more productive fish wise weekend than I did. That's for sure. So you didn't crush them, is what you're telling me. I fished for about two hours on Sunday. Because I finally found a ramp that wasn't frozen. Uh, although I was definitely the only person who used that ramp on the weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't get a bite. I also, though, didn't run. I've, 
I, I've got a pretty good idea of where I can catch some fish. It's just a matter of going across to the LBL side to go to them or to go idle around on the ledges a little bit. Mm. And there were like 20 mile an hour winds out of the north, and I was just oh, yeah. not going to do that. No. Uh, no. So I sort of fished around some places where I was like, well, maybe there'll be some fish, and there weren't. <laughs> uh, and then I went in because I was getting cold and it was no fun. And I was like, well, at least I tried. Yeah, you get uh, you gave it you gave it a shot. Did you have to uh, like uh, put salt down on the ramp or anything like that? To no, help it get it, in or out. It uh no, it's it was sort of it, there was a layer of sort of crusty snow and like a little bit of ice on top of it, and I would just threw it in four wheel drive and you know sort of burned through the snow a little bit and got up uh and so that worked like it. out it wasn't it wasn't prime if i hadn't had four wheel drive definitely would never have pulled the boat back out um but <laughs> you know with four wheel drive it turned out to not be a huge problem sure america yeah uh, trucks four wheel drive that's what you got to do yeah uh so anyhow i think we've we've pretty much covered the fishing or lack of fishing that we've got to do and <laughs> I, yep. I, I think it's time to go ahead I'll, I'll hang up with you and then we'll go and call uh call van souls let's get him on the line and now we're joined by van souls he's fishing the flw tour this year as a rookie he's got a pair of bfl top tens on lake toho last year he won the bassmaster open on lake toho he's about as local as it gets van how are you doing oh i'm doing great uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back in Florida where, we, where we're not snowed in. We're, we're forced to have some, some warmer weather than the other parts of the country. So um, I'm excited about this event. Can't wait to hit the water. So, Van, I guess before we really dig into Toho and what might go on there, what, what people should know about the lake, can you talk us talk to us a little bit about just yourself and how you got from, you know, whatever you whatever you started out doing, you know, how you're – you know, how you got into fishing to how you come to be fishing the tour this year. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know, I grew up in central Florida, uh, real close to the Simon Chain lakes, um, probably really closer to Lake Hatchnahal and, and, uh, Toho and a little bit farther drive to Kissimmee and the Camp Mac area. But, um, you know, I come from a fishing family, fishing and hunting is, is something we've always done. My, my dad has, has always kept a rod and, me and my brother's uh, hands and our family vacations were all kind of centered around going fishing and just always been a big part of my life when I, when, when I, when I couldn't play ball anymore, um, after high school, you know, I, I really turned to competitive fishing and, and, and started fishing bass tournaments just right out of high school and all through college. You know, I, I was on the water every chance I could get, especially locally and, you know, just moved into the club tournaments. Lakeland Bassmasters was one of the, the largest uh, bass clubs in the in the in the country at the time, and still is. And just just had some big sticks in that in that club. Um, some big names that you see nationally now, like Bobby Lane and Chris Lane and uh, Arnie Lane. The Lane brothers were in there. They were they were real tough to compete against, even at that club level, and even now, as you can imagine. So it, the that area in Polk County and and in between Okeechobee and Kissimmee has really produced some really tough fishermen. And, you know, over the time, I, I gradually moved up, got a chance to fish some BFL tournaments, and, and just spent a lot of my time on the Kissimmee chain, had some had some great mentors, you know, along the way that just 
you know, as a as a youngster, they they taught me how to how to flip, throw top water plugs, and you know, my hats off to them, and you know, for just you know taking a kid fishing that they didn't hardly know, and we I eventually became great friends even to this day. And the um, the Kissimmee chain is a, a a body of water that's just textbook Florida. I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna have shallow water, you're gonna have a lot of vegetation, a lot of varieties of space, different kinds. And one of the keys is going to be in this tournament is to really locate some spawning activity. We're going to have some stable weather. Uh, it looks like now, uh, if any of that changes, it, it's going to relate around, you know, finding the right vegetation that's holding those spawning fish. And those big girls, they're going to move in. We got a we got a full moon coming up, and they're going to they're going to be they're going to be coming right in. Those those buck bass should be posted up on those beds and isolated cover. Anything from buggy whips, cattails to lily pads. You know that should surrender some, some big fish, and I expect to see some fish in the in the ten to twelve pound range weighed in as far as the big bass goes as well. Now, before we get too into Toho here, Van, the the one thing I kind of had on my mind, and I think a lot of listeners are probably wondering, is um, uh-huh. you you have you've had a lot of success, um, you know, in Florida. And I, you know, like you were talking about BFLs and and, uh, and backs and you're fishing the the open, the bass opens. Um, what kind of what was it for you that really made you decide, like, hey, now's my time to fish the tour? Was it because Toho was on the schedule, or was this part of something you've kind of had in mind for a while? Uh, I'd say it's a combination of both. Um, you know, 2014 was a real good year for me. Uh, you know, won won the open there in 2014 was the first year I'd actually kind of taken a another step higher than than the BFL ranks, so to speak, um, to kind of step into multiple day tournaments like like the opens and then the and then the rail back. But then, you know, when the when the FLW tour came out with their schedule and it had Toho on there and it also um, had some other lakes that I've been to before, but you know haven't had the luxury of fishing that tournament on like like Ufala and uh, Beaver, I've had some fun fishing trips out there, and, and uh, also I've been to Smith Lake before. Um, fished the Southern Open up there, learned a lot, and uh, you know I just I, I said this is a this is a great opportunity for me. I'm fortunate enough to get in. Uh, it's always been a dream of mine to just just take that take that next step and get up there and and fish with some of the best anglers in the world. And opportunities don't come around often. Um, you know I, I was blessed enough to to have the, the right sponsorship, you know, to, to allow me to be able to do it. Uh, the folks over at Garmin Electronics have just been outstanding, along with Powerful, my two title sponsors. And they they really, you know, have have made made that decision to fish the tour is that much easier. And also, too, with FLW, you know, their, their tournaments are more spaced out. Um, and there's more time in between tournaments, and it makes it easier for an angler to make that commitment, still maintain time with your family and your work, and also handle obligations with sponsors versus, you know, uh, just for instance, you know, like the Bassmaster Elite Series is going to have, you know, uh, you, you finish one tournament, you got to go to another one. And it's pretty mm-hmm. spread out all over the country where the FLW Tour is pretty much between, you know, the, 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 the southeast part of the country between, you know, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And it fishes more of my strengths as far as, you know, fishing with jigs and flipping and, and stuff of that nature. And, and most of the water in those areas, you can, you can take one technique and apply it to another, another lake from one lake. 
and still it's you know to be competitive in those tournaments. I just didn't feel like you know going out west and, um, and fishing some of those bodies of waters, you know, way far north and way out west were, were to my advantage. And and I I looked at the schedule and it just it just felt it felt right for me. And I could start it off on my on my home lake. And I haven't seen FLW come to Toho on the tour too often, so I said this is this is an opportunity, and I got to relish it. You mentioned your day. You mentioned your day job. You mentioned spending more time with your family on the FLW tour. What do you do when you when you aren't fishing? Well, um, I'm in the commercial insurance business. I I, I write workers' comp and commercial package insurance. Uh, we have a family-run business that uh, my mom. She uh, is an agency manager. She she runs it while I'm fishing, and, and we have some other family members working in the office. And it's a, it's a small commercial insurance agency. I, when I'm not fishing, I'm I'm uh, I'm writing insurance policies. So uh, it's it, it keeps me pretty busy. Uh, fishing's always been a passion of mine, and, and my family is, is dear to my heart. And they provide a lot of support for me in fishing, and they know it's a dream I want to do. So when when I, when I pan out a tournament schedule for the year, you know, they're behind me 100%, especially my mother running the office while I'm gone. I don't have to worry about anything because I, I, I trust her with all my heart, and I can concentrate on fishing and making my family proud. Awesome. That sounds like you've got a really, really good situation as far as being yeah, able no to compete. Kidding. And this sounds like the schedule sets up about as well as it could for you this year. So, boy, I, I, I like the sound. I, I like your reasoning to, for making this decision now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, um, I had a great year last year. Um, you know, on the on the open side, and and actually, you know, got an invite to fish the elites. But as I mentioned, the schedule just didn't add up. You know, where I felt like I can compete, and and the FLW tour schedule came out, and I thought it was just a fabulous schedule, and I felt like if I was going to do one, I need to go. I need to go the FLW tour route because you know there's times I'm sure every event I've ever fished with FLW has been you know, managed and, and ran, you know, with, with, a, with a class act mentality, and it's just been top-notch. And, and I have to also look, well, well where, can I, I can, where can I be the most competitive? And starting off on my home lake and then also going to lakes where I've been before and, and learned a lot there, that just made the decision for me. And the traveling and time between tournaments is a lot more easier. And, and I think that FLW, you know, you know, has a more accommodating schedule as far as giving the anglers time to regroup, go see their family, because your family is where we get our support from. And the sponsors, you know, uh, you know, are going to obligate us to do things because they're behind us 110%. And we want to be able to give back to them as well and do our part. So having that time in between tournaments allows us to do that. And, and without, without the support of your family, I, I really don't think that, that you can, you can go from tournament to tournament and, and, and have the best conscience that you can have. Okay. Now you, you're obviously you're a Toho expert, and or or at least about as close as anyone can get to being a Toho expert. Can <laughs> you sort of, can you sort of lay out what some of the just sort of general patterns that we're going to see people fishing will be in this event? I mean, obviously we're looking really hard at that bed bite, but there's going to be other things going on too, correct? Oh, absolutely. There's going to be a multi-layer, multi-layer of catching. Catching good bags of fish, and I think it's going to be soft plastic. I mean, a lot of guys are going to be using soft plastics from you know uh, top quarter that are going to be plastic based 
that likes to sight fish and they want to get up on them and look at those fish, then then tow is going to be the lake. So moving on Lake Cypress, for instance, you you got you, that that's going to be the most shallowest lake of the tank. And if you like fishing offshore hydrilla and and ripping crankbaits through vegetation out there offshore, maybe going after more of a staging fish pattern. That's going to be um, a lake where it's also going to have some dirtier water, but it's going to be a lot more shallower, probably a little bit easier to figure out to get that limit bite, but it's also going to be predominantly a buggy whip bite on that lake where, where guys are going to be pitching and clipping creature baits into these buggy whip patches. It's going to be surrounded by other forms of vegetation, such as steel grass and, and, and patches of, um, of, of high drill on lake. a small lake, but very shallow. And hatching hall is going to set up a lot like a lot like cypress as well. I mean, it's going to be predominantly buggy with some cattails on shoreline. It's going to be areas where there are path fields. Um, hatching hall is going to be a little bit deeper than, than cypress. But it, cypress, cypress and hatching hall are going to have good sandy bottoms. It's going to be deeper spawning activity, but they're both shallow. And they set up the same way. They're going to have buggy with Guys are going to go in there and pitch them. Not as much offshore grass on, on hatching hall as there is in Cypress, but they do have those buggy wet patches, and they do have, you know, sandy bottom shorelines where you can go in there and find a little fish in there and spawn it. And getting on down to Kissimmee, you know, Kissimmee, I would kind of refer to it as a miniature Okeechobee is what it, is what it looks like. I think a lot of you guys that are used to fishing Okeechobee starting the season off on the FLW tour, they may find Lake Kissimmee to be more, more similar to Okeechobee than any other lake on the chain. Kissimmee's going to have a combination of shallow water and deep water in uh, flats. Uh, long shorelines that extend out with semi grass fields, very similar to Okeechobee. And then you can have your mixture of sparse buggy um, uh, whip lines in there. Very few buggy whip lines in there, but there's going to be there's going to be some sparse areas with it. But Kissimmee has large pad fields. It's got more more lily pads than any other lake on the chain. And you almost have to treat the pad fields the same way wood cattails on Okeechobee. You know, the isolated, isolated cattails in Okeechobee render a lot of big fish during spawning season. And you almost have to look at those 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 lily pads and treat them the same way as you would the, the cattails on Okeechobee because those fish are going to get up there and they're going to spawn on those patterns. The key is going to be to find the isolated ones because those bass love the isolated cover on these lakes. And Kissimmee, Kissimmee is probably going to render uh, more than 20 pound bags than any other place on the chain. A lot of guys are going to make that run down there because it, it doesn't fish small. There's 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 large areas in there from from Ford Country, 27 Palms, Philadelphia, Florida, and Carolina Islands that that are going to they're really going to spread some fishermen out. It, it it has more variety to offer fishermen as far as combinations of vegetation, long fields of semi grass with Actually, the pads mixed in throughout various spots. There's those seagrass fields that will hold the best fish. And you got Lake Tiger that's there. It's a very small lake. It's a small lake. It's not even accessible. It's there. And it has a lot of seagrass and a lot of bug cubes. So it's kind of a it's kind of a little bit different than um, than, than Hatchet Hall and Cypress. It's just not going to have any of your offshore grass. There's no offshore grass out there. It's just straight up sandy bottom and it's semi grass and pads. But you can't go in there and catch a big bass. But I think it's you know, I, I think for the run, the long run that it takes to get in there, I don't think you'll see too many guys going in there 
but I think they can go to Kissimmee and find what they're looking for. Okay. Now, um, since we covered all the lakes, I think one thing that a lot of people have been hearing a lot about, um, obviously we're taken out of Toho for this event, um, and then there's the lock, uh, which is only, what, 13, 14, 15 boats, something like that at a time um, to get through. But then how far of a run is it for the guy that decides to go to, say, Kissimmee? Yeah, if you're pulling out of the city ramp, there in, in, in Toho, and you want to say, let's just, for instance, um, you want to run down to Philadelphia Point, which is the halfway point right in the middle of the lake of Kissimmee. I mean, you're looking at about a 36-mile run. I mean, that's, that's, that's approximately about 36 miles. You want to give yourself anywhere from 45 to, to an hour to get there because there are holdups you know, with the lock. You go on that lock, you find guys that, that are going to be in there, they, they may not know their registration number, and they got to give it to the lock tender, and that usually takes up a little bit of time. Sometimes it can go fast if everybody's got their registration number ready and handy, and the lock tender can jot that information down and assign somebody a number, and then they can lower it. But I, I, I think the, with the water levels being somewhat close, now that they've lowered Toho a little bit by about two foot, the drop between Toho to Cypress is not going to take that long. So, you know, that, that's going to save you a few minutes right there, but give or take. 50 minutes between an hour and, and, and 45 minutes to get from the city ramp down to the middle of Kissimmee. And if you're going farther south, I'd say give yourself an extra five minutes because you don't want to be you don't want to be caught up in something because those locks can have somebody coming and going, and you got to wait for them to refill, have off the water, or lower the or empty the water out so you can get in there and get where you need to go. But the locks are always a factor. Um, if, if, I, if I'm in that early flight, I'm going to try to get to the locks as soon as I can. And get it out of the way. But if I'm if I'm below, say boat 45, you know I'm going to find me a spot in Toho and use my time as efficiently and as widely as possible to try to take advantage of the good morning bite there in Toho. Get a, get a few fish in the box and then head down down south to where you know I, the task at hand is, is not as great as it is going down there with nothing in the box. Interesting. Okay, that's that's kind of about what we've been hearing from guys and um i guess the the consensus on locks is like if you're not one of the early boats you know you might as well just find something if you do want to leave toho you might as well find something just fish there for a while and then roll into the locks a little later on after the chaos has kind of calmed down that's exactly right you know because if you get there and, and say your boat 45 you got to understand that maybe 15 to 16 17 boats with max can fit in that lock. So you, you basically just got to do the math. You know, if you're boat 50, you're not going to get in that lock on the first go-around. So rather than sit outside and just wait outside the lock, I mean, you can be fishing. And in Florida, one pitch, one flip, you know, could render you an eight-pound bass. So I'm willing to take my chances and, and get lucky rather than sit out in front of that lock. Okay. Now, you were also one of the other big factors that you said is going to play in this event is the fact that they they spray grass just like they do down on Okeechobee. They spray on, you know, at least on Kissimmee and some of these other lakes as well. Can you sort of delve into that a little bit, how you think it could affect the fishing um, and maybe also sort of how it's affected the lakes? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, in Florida, over the past year, you know, we've seen a, a dramatic increase 
in the amount of spraying and the frequency in which they do it um, in comparison to a year ago. Um, in 2014, we had we had probably 80% more vegetation than what we have now as far as you know, a combination of uh, water lettuce, water hyacinths, lily pads, and buggy whips on all the lakes combined. Um, it seems like in you know, to the middle of 2014, and in the year and up till now, it's, it's been. It just seems like you know anything green has been sprayed, and and it's been done with a high level of carelessness of deciphering, you know, the the vegetation that needs to be managed with, with aquatic spray versus the native vital vegetation that's there. The um, the efficacy um, is in managing that, and you know I, I really think that they've mismanaged it. We, we've had a significant buildup of the cave plant and buck on the bottom of our lakes due to the severe um, balance spraying, which has resulted in a dead plant. And that's done at this point at the bottom of the lake. And it's, it's been a plant factor. I mean, because I can see right now, the spray bush are out there right now spraying vegetation. I mean, hunting season just ended. They're waiting for the duck hunters to get out there, and they're spraying some areas right now. And it's going to be it's gonna be crucial to how an area plays out. I mean, you go in and you you see that field that some guys went in there and practice and looked at spawning fish, and when that plant starts to decay, those fish are going to be gone. So, those are going to be a factor. I, I really think that when you're practicing and this practice round is coming up, you got to keep your eyes out and, and to see the vegetation that is starting to brown up and peel back and die. Um, it, it's probably not going to it's probably not going to play in your hands in that area. You're going to have to find something. Different, but and it's going to cause it's going to cause the lake to be a lot smaller than what it traditionally does because a lot of the areas that had vegetation has been wiped out now, and and that's going to force guys to push up in areas where there's vegetation and there's some spawning activity going on, and it's also going to limit the number of, of natural sand bottoms that the fish need to pan out and make that bed. They don't like the they don't like the bed in these areas where you go through there. When you're trolling motor and you're kicking up muck and, and mud and sediment, that's that's, that's not going to be a, a, an ideal place for for big fish to come in and spawn and bed. It's just it, it makes it makes it very difficult. And when that fish turns out and gets the water years muck and it makes it harder for that sun to penetrate through that dirty old water. But it is going to be a factor. I mean, it's you know it's you know for us local anglers, we see it all the time. We hear about it, and a lot of times we don't understand you know why it has to be done in such a in such a high severity level to where it's not really managing the, the, the vegetation. It's more of an eradication of the vegetation. And and you're destroying the ecosystem and the homes of the of, of the bass. And they, I, I think kind of roam around that for a while when their when their area is totally decayed and, 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 and burned down and they roam around. And, and I think it affects the spawning activity too because if, if the fry have no place to go, no shelter to cling to, they're going to be, they're, they're be sitting duck for the pickerel and the other uh, predators that come in there and try to eat them. So it, 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 it's all part you know, of the lake, the way that lake continues to revolve. You've got to have vegetation. It's been here since the dawn of time, and there's a reason that it's there. And, you know, with, with the spraying that's going on, why they want to eradicate it so bad and they treat it like it's like it's a mystery to us, but 
we love our fishery. We want it to continue to be here for, for future generations. So we're, we're hoping that they can see eye to eye with us and that, that, that we study the fish just as much as they study the lakes and, and it's vital for their reproduction and, and the, the continued growth of the fishery itself. I'm with you, man. I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know how many times, uh, on Okeechobee, I've been out and seen guys spraying grass in areas that, you know, had a lot of tournament boats around, but to me, it's like, you know, the areas aren't, it's nothing, um, you know, that's like harming boat traffic or anything like that. Cause that's the thing up here in Minnesota, uh, you know, we have a lot of milfoil and so you see guys out harvesting milfoil around, um, and usually it's kind of in areas that make sense, like out in front of a boat ramp, right, where you have a lot of traffic or, uh, you know, in a bay where there's a lot of, you know, boat docks or something and people can't get their boats in and out. That kind of makes sense to me. But it just seems so weird, like with my northern mindset, to see them doing to that down in Florida in areas that, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful fish habitat. And then next thing you know, it's all dead, brown, and gone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I have a weekend place at Camp Mac, you know, that we go and and stay at while we're down there fishing. And when they, you can tell that when they've been out there spraying, uh, especially in the summertime, you can actually smell the decayed plant. And, and, and it's a very, it's a very bad odor that, that, that starts to get around the camp and the lakes down there. And when you get into an area, you know it's been sprayed because you can smell it. And, and that, and for something like that to happen, that means there's, there's a really high level of decayed plant. And that, that's unnatural for the lake. That's, that's, that's not, that's not how God intended, you know, these lakes to take care of themselves and, and decay and move, move, move plant life on. A plant is a living organism and it's going to live and it's going to die. But, you know, when we interfere and we speed up that process ahead of Mother Nature, then you know, we're creating we're creating our own problems on the lakes and the fisheries with that. I mean, I can understand in waterways and river systems, you know, we got to be able to get boats through for safety and, and, and moving water for, for for flood purposes and stuff of that nature. But you know, it, it still, you know, I don't have a, I don't have an answer as to why they come in and spray the natural vegetation that is outside navigational waters. And shallow waters that houses bass, houses the food that bass eat, and house the areas in which they reproduce. And you know, I'm I'm highly involved with with the Junior Bassmaster Organization here in Florida, both in Florida and whenever I can. And it's discouraging to me that these kids don't get to see the same productive fisheries that I grew up in because of what's happened to the lakes. I mean, you see a lot of kids come in with you know, with the sad faces and pooch lips because they didn't catch any fish. And it's it's hard. I mean, for, for pro fishermen to go out there and work to get 12, 15 pounds, you know, in, in certain cases, you know, for a kid to go out there and be involved in a youth event, I mean, and not catch anything, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's hard. It's heartbreaking. And, and, and as an adult and as an angler that's been on the water for, for 25 years or better, you know, I've seen the lake change. I've, I've seen the effects of the abuse that's happened with this spraying. And and I know that if they got a chance to fish this lake 15 years ago, it would have been a lot easier on them. I don't want to see them get out of the sport of fishing because they've had so many bad days in the water. And 
like I say, it's just gotten to a point to where, you know, I think the people that are actually managing the lakes and and and, and applying this aquatic spray, you know, they are. I think they're just not up to par on what's good, what's bad, and and what needs to stay there and what's vital for the fishery. Okay. So all that said, I mean, we're still going to see some pretty big bags out of this event just because of the time of the year, the fact that it is Florida, and, you know, these are, maybe they're not what they used to be, but they're still pretty good lakes. What do you, what do you see as being sort of the winning weight uh, once this thing all wraps up? Oh, yeah. You know, even with, even with the, you know, the depleted station that's there, this chain, it's a testament to this, this fishery. You're still going to see some big weights come in, and you're. I mean, it's going to be. I mean, there, it's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of guys because they're going to catch some big bags. And I think a guy can make that top ten. You're going to have to. You're going to have to have a twenty pound bag at least one of the first two days of competition, and maybe follow it up with a fifteen to seventeen pound bag to get you in that in that top ten going into the uh, final day to win it. I think it's probably going to be around. I mean, it's going to be pushing 90 pounds for four days, I believe. I mean, it's going to be anywhere from 85 to 90 pounds, I believe, for four days to get in there. Because with the way that we're setting up, I, I think somebody's going to come in with maybe a 35-pound bag on the plane. They're going to go in there. They're going to find the mother. They're going to get a couple of big ones, and they can follow it up very easily with a uh, another 20-pound bag performance. And... And, and really do well. I really think it's gonna. You're gonna have some guys bringing some big bags. I think it's gonna drop off pretty quick outside that top 25. Um, I mean, 15 a day, you know, should should get you a paycheck. I think, but um, you know, to, to get in that top 10, I think you're gonna have to have somewhere around pushing 38 pounds after the first two days of competition to make the cut. And then to get into that final day and to win the win this tournament, you're gonna need you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna need pushing eighty five to, to ninety pounds to win this thing. Good deal. Kyle, I like it. I I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I, <laughs> I would I like sort of fingers crossed that I would love to see a hundred, but I understand that's a tall task. Kyle, do you have any do you have any other questions or any any topics you feel like we haven't covered yet? Um, you know, I guess the one thing, and I probably should have brought this up earlier, Van, but, uh, the thing for me, so you, you just got done fishing, uh, in the Bassmaster Classic last week, um, which was on a totally different body of water than I would assume you are used to being that it was on Hartwell. Um, and I know you touched on that you fish some of the lakes on the schedule this year, which is giving you some confidence, but does coming off of uh, you know, fishing in the classic, uh, with all that the media attention and all that stuff going on, does that kind of give you confidence to go out and fish the tour, especially since you know this tournament took place on a lake that you weren't that familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I think you know walking away from that hard well event. I mean, we, we were fishing in probably the toughest conditions I've ever fished in in my life, and uh, we took off at nine degrees. And I think the high got to twenty seven on the first day for a high and uh and then you know going into the two the high got around 35 so we, we were uh, we were dealing with some tough conditions and that was a testament to the skill level of those guys in that tournament they still managed to bring in some great good bags and 
and, and move on. But I think, you know, the thing I learned from it was no matter what the conditions are or where you're fishing, if you're fishing against these tour-level guys that that are up there considered to be the best in the world, they are the best in the world. These guys fishing the FLW Tour, they're the best in the world. You know, the guys that make it make it on the Elite Series as well, those are the best in the world. Some guys fish both, and they're going to bring it under any any conditions and any circumstances whatsoever. They're going to bring it. No matter how cold you are or how, how wet it is out there, you know, or windy, they're going to bring it. And what that does to a, a, a rookie like me, you know, being in there uh, for my first classic, you know, it really helps me develop, you know, my level of mental toughness. And that's what you, you, you've got to have a high level of mental toughness. And, and that also helps you with dealing with the media attention, dealing with everything that, that you're put in as far as spotlight role and, and all the attention that comes with it. You've got to be able to take it in perspective and remember that you're there to get a job done and to catch fish. And you've got to put together a game plan just like you would any other tournament. And, being in those tough conditions and, and being in that tournament, it helped me realize I got to get better. I got, I got, I got to get tough and, and, and build on, on my current field level to get it up, be able to compete at that level. You know, making it to that event was a dream come true. Um, I think every kid, you know, dreams of making it to a championship tournament. And, you know, and that was certainly a dream come true. But being there, you know, what I took in from it is I got to get better. I got to get I got to get all my field levels to another level that I I didn't even think existed. And going in, leaving that tournament and coming back home to Florida, you know, and going into this event, you know, one of the things that runs through my mind is that that um, you know, no matter how tough it gets, or no matter how bad my first day is, you know, I can bounce back. I can I can handle the situation at hand. And my confidence moving forward is, is, is that I've been in tough before. They don't get no tougher than nine degrees and snowing on you. I promise you. So <laughs> getting back to, getting back to Florida and, and being in this on my home lake and, and the experience that I took in, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say so much as my, 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 my confidence is higher. I'm pretty confident in everything that I do. And, but I would say the thing that is increased the most is the drive to get better. I, the drive to get better, to reach higher levels, and, and to get better and more developed as an angler is the one thing that's probably just on fire right now within my, with my game plan, my mindset, and everything that I, that I got ahead of me is when I go on the practice field uh, come Sunday, you know, I'm going to be trying to get better first and foremost on anything that I do, you know, just on the conditions that are going to be ahead. You know, I'm going to try to get better. All right. Good stuff. Well, Van, obviously this is going to be a big year for, for you, uh, starting off at Toho, mm-hmm. but also, you know, just following the whole season as you, you know, compete a, a full season at the pro level, uh, where, where should people find you online if they want to follow along? Well, they can they can always check me out on my, my website, vansouls.com. Uh, they can follow me on base, Facebook. Um, they can plug in vansouls on Facebook and follow me there. But my website uh, is managed by, by ProSites Unlimited. And uh, Ray does a great job of 
website. You know, anything there's nothing needed. Um, you know, he, he gets it done right away. I just sent him an email today, and and I know that, that he's going to uh, make it a day, you know, by the end of business day, and that's, that's kind of folks they are. And they really put a lot of good stuff for my sponsors that are out there. I can't I can't send enough thanks to folks over at Powerpole, uh, Garmin Electronics, Lee Tungsten, um, Enigma Fishing, which is a new rod line. Um, you know that that uh, Aaron Martins himself is working with Jesse Tecarante to develop some some great rods that um, that that are just you know from finesse fishing all the way you know to heavy mat flipping cover. There, it's going to be it, it's going to be a, a great and exciting product. All right, good stuff. Well, Van, thanks for coming on, and uh, you know, best of luck at Toho and going forward. And I look forward to meeting you down there. Yeah, we'll see you next week. So Kyle, we just we got done talking with Van Souls, and I I talked to him yesterday. I talked to him again today. Obviously, I I love talking to him. He's he's so willing to go in depth on things to really oh, man. to really get into you know all sorts of stuff about the lakes, about spraying. He loves to get fired up about that. That's why he's I had to ask passionate. that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there anything I guess that sort of stuck out to you about the interview, or any any you know, a couple of topics that you thought were most interesting? Um, you know, I thought it was kind of cool just the fact that he gave us such a detailed breakdown of all the fishable water uh, for the tour event on Toho next week. Like all the little, you know, the types of grass and cover you'll find in each lake. Um, you know, almost like, hey, if you want to do this, he was almost telling like, hey, if you're an angler that likes Okeechobee, go f- fish Kissimmee. You know, and if you like clear water, fish Toho. Or if you kind of want to be by yourself, you know, fish, uh, what was the tiger, which yeah, he said, like most guys don't even tiger. know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought I thought that breakdown he gave us was really neat because he didn't need to go into that much depth. He could oh, have said, no. oh, well, you know, you've got these three lakes and, you know, two of them are kind of the same. He could have he could have been a much, much more general about them, but he really dug into it and Honestly, like if you're thinking, well, you know, next year I'm thinking about going down, fit, you know, fishing for a week in Florida. I want to have a nice spring break or something. I'd probably come back, listen to this podcast, and be like, okay, well, I'll do whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll do whatever Van Soul said about that because he he really got into it. Um, now you know the one thing I forgot to ask him that I just remembered, and I kind of wish I did ask him. What is that? You know how he was saying water. Uh, like Toho is probably the cleaner water. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask him if dirty and clean water down there is just relative to basically that's how the lake is, or if any of it is a little wind driven, like we see on Okeechobee. Oh, it's well, it's it's both. I think so. There's, I think there's gradations of how clear the water is going to be in these lakes, but mm-hmm. it also is absolutely wind driven, like it is at Okeechobee. And if it that's muddies not... up, you cannot. And I I know this because I talked to. Yesterday for a preview article for Toho, I talked to Scott Martin and Van Souls and Blake Smith, and they, it's absolutely like Okeechobee where you can get stuff blown out if it gets too windy and it get okay. and it gets stirred up. That's what I assumed, but you know, like these guys, these lakes aren't as big or as straight wide open. Uh, I mean, they're kind of big bowls, more or less. I mean, circular shape to a degree. Uh, but they're not as big, so that was kind of what I was wondering, like, how bad does the wind get? If there's more grass kind of, a, you know, 
expanding across it. I know Toho's kind of got some deep water to it. Same thing with Kissimmee. Um, but yeah, okay, good to know. Thanks, Jody. I'll just ask you. Yeah, I am. I am now an expert. <laughs> you're, you're my Toho expert <laughs> on on all of these lakes. I even sort of know how to pronounce Lake Hatchinaha, which I'm pretty Hatchinaha. sure. Hatchinaha. I think that's. I kind of like pronouncing it, but I also kind of don't because I'm a little frightened of it. <laughs> you know, it's one of it's another one of those words that I'm just not sure on. Can, can you call it Lake Hatch? Do people call it Hatch? I, I went think, down to Hatch today. I think you should call it Hatch. Like I hope, I hope I hear people saying that. But every time I've I talked to someone, they've called it the full name, and I wonder if that's because it's a little more formal setting, and they want to be like, they want to say it the right way. But maybe when they get up on weigh-in stage, they'll be like, "Yeah, I went down to Hatch today. Really caught the fire out of them. Can't yeah. wait to go back out there tomorrow." <laughs> I, I think that could be it. They just have their interview pants on, so they're they're trying to be very proper. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. That'll be an interesting storyline to follow. How uh, how do we how do we talk about Lake Hatchinaha slash Hatch? But anyhow, um, we'll we'll sort of dig into Toho a little bit more here. But right now, I want to talk a little bit a little bit of college fishing. We had a college fishing Southern Conference event on Lake Texoma over the weekend. They had terrible weather. Uh, it oh was, man. I I talked to Kevin Hunt and he said it was just miserable. It was it had gotten really cold like 2 days before the event, so the water had had t- plenty of time to cool off and make the fish miserable and it was windy and not snowing but like just terrible out. <laughs> Sounds uh, horrible. But Central Oklahoma University uh, they they ended up with 13 pounds, 15 ounces, picked up the win and it was Colton Hudson and Brock Enmeyer, uh, who ended up taking home that win. Um, they sort of they they had one spot, which was the deal. They had like they had one uh, brush pile in the back of a cove, where you know they just sort of got on and they threw Texas rigs and a little bit of a little bit of everything else, and they they ended up making it happen. Wow! They just milked that spot all day long. Yeah, they caught, they caught, they only caught, I think, six keepers all day. Oof. Uh, or maybe six or seven. You know, it was not, it was a slow day. And they were the only team to bring in a limit, too, which was pretty crazy. Wow. Uh, Did they call it a grind? Uh, they well, say, let's, let's see here. They say, man, I mean, it's a grind. Yeah, they didn't. They should have, oh. though. See, I feel like if there's ever an appropriate time to say that... Oh, that was a grind. That was it. That, that was, was the day for it. That was without a doubt a grind. It was not... A lot of times you hear, like, oh, it was a grind. I got, like, seven bites today, and five of them were four-pounders, and one was an eight, and I was fishing a swim bait on Lake Okeechobee. And that's not a grind. No. But guys say that a lot. Yeah, Randy Haynes says that a lot. Yeah, well, he grinds out, like, 30-pound bags on a deep-diving crankbait. Yeah, you know? and I'm like, that's not, no, <laughs> no, that doesn't that doesn't qualify. Yeah, but I, this was truly a grind. They didn't call it one, uh, but they, <laughs> I tell you what, they, they earned it, that's for sure. Well, good for them. Yeah, and, of course, you know, there's another 15 teams that made the, uh, the, made the conference championship. So they'll, they've sort of started to fill that field up, and that's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, going on. We've got a new we got a new spotted bass world record. 
Uh, and it's it's not a little one. It is not. It is a giant. Uh, and this was, by the way, this this spotted bass world record. Like we've been, people have sort of known it was coming for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we did a uh, we did an article a while back about you know how Cody Meyer and Jason Johnson were catching giant spotted bass. Just in this issue of the FLW magazine, we did a deal about how Matt Allen is catching giant bass. Giant spotted bass, and Lou Ferrante caught a ten point nine five pounder from Bullard's Bar on Saturday, uh, and it was a stud. <laughs> it was a stud. I also I think I'm now the official probably uh, record bass journalist of FLW. I just you, want to, I want to throw yeah, that out there. I think you are. I'll give you I'll give you <laughs> mad props for that. I, so I found I sort of I saw it on I think Instagram, and it was the first place I saw it on sat, on Sunday night, which I guess it was actually caught on Saturday. And then I almost didn't want to I almost didn't want to tell anybody. I wanted to pretend they didn't know until Monday because I was like, you know what? If I tell somebody now, you're gonna have to do. Colin it. is gonna be like, okay, Jody, why don't you write something up about this? Yep. But I told. And lo and behold, Colin says, well, Jody, why don't you write something up about this? So <laughs> I, Sunday night, I'm sitting there, I'm doing my research, trying to figure out who caught it, because I knew it was a guy named Lou, and then how to get a phone number. And it turns out he's an FLW member. He fishes a co-angler in some of those Western Rayovac events. So I was able to dial him up and talk to him and find out how he caught it. And it's all up there, flwfishing.com, if you want to read about it. Um, although you probably already saw it, because... It's a world record spotted bass, you know. Something yeah, like it's hard not hard hard to miss. Hard to avoid that. But how crazy are the dates that this fish was caught and the one last year from Keith Bryant? It is ridiculous because Keith Bryant he caught his on the February twenty second, and this one was caught February twenty first. Book it February twentieth <laughs> yeah. next Just year. Just going ahead, you could buy your ticket right now. You know your time frame to go catch one. Jesse and I were saying we need to do a story uh, called, like, you know, the World Record Weekend or something, where he and I will go out, and you probably should come too because we'd want a third person, I'd say. We'll oh, yeah. Go out, we'll, fish oh, yep. for, we'll fish for February 20th, 21st, and 22nd, trying to catch the World Record Spotted Bass because we know that's the time to do it. It's those three magic days, mm-hmm. and, you know, we can, we can chronicle the whole thing. Uh, I don't know if that's going to actually happen. But that'd be cool if it did. We should actually probably go to the 23rd just to cover the bases. Just in case, you know, if the fish is a little bit sloppy with the calendar. Yep. Yeah, if it's trying to, like, jump ahead all of a sudden, we just want to make sure we're on that. Yeah, but I would say, you know, if you're out in California, those are the days you want to be on the water. (laughs) Man, that's cool. Uh, And he caught it on a Yamamoto grub, too, which is awesome that he caught it on just a little old school grub on a darker head. Just a regular old bait. Yep. Uh, no no $200 swim baits here. <laughs> oh, no. None needed. Uh, so that that was pretty cool. And he was a, he was a fun guy to talk to. Like, he was he was pretty happy about it, obviously. I mean, you can't not be. <laughs> yeah. But he also, he also, for like, for part of the conversation, you know, I told him I was from FLW, and I think he missed that. And so part of it, he, like, explained how tournaments work to me. <laughs> that, you know, you catch five fish, you can't use artificials. He sort of explained what a grub is to me. 
who's like, it's like a worm, but shorter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I didn't need that level of explanation, but it was kind of interesting to get that level of explanation. Yeah, um, I was going to say, so did you did you interrupt him at all, or did you just let him keep telling you about tournaments and how they work? And For a while, I just let him keep going. And then, you know, later on when I needed some more slight information, I was like, I sort of interrupted him. And then by the end, he once he figured out again I worked for FLW, he was having me say hi to Ron Lappin for him. So oh, we, we oh, got okay. all the way through it and, you know, we worked <laughs> it all out. Uh, but congratulations to Lou Ferrante. I mean, having a world yeah. record. It's not a world record yet. It's going to be eventually here you know, once Mad, we certify it and whatnot. It's Mad awesome. props. Mad props. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of continuing on with that, we've got some... We got some FLW-specific news to talk about. Mm-hmm. We've got some sponsor news, and the first one is Ram is now the official tow vehicle of FLW. We announced it uh, just yesterday slash today. We uh, put it up on the website. We've been driving uh, Rams around for a little while now, um, and that's big news. Oh, big time. I think uh, uh, we're pretty excited about it. I know uh, Joe has been chomping at the bit to get this release out. So he's a happy camper now. Yeah, I, I think I think he's probably excited about that. And it always, anytime you have something of this, any of these sponsored press releases and stuff, it takes a long time to go back and forth with each side and make every make everybody happy about every every little bit of wording because it's very, it seems like it's very, they're very put together. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, they are. Yes, which, they are. You know, I guess is is fine because it's news. But you know, on the sort of on the real world front, I've I've driven these a few times now. Uh, I drove down and back uh, to Smith Lake, which is like a five hour drive with one of them with Bill Taylor. I am I'm really impressed. I you know I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with Ram before then, but I can uh, I can say I'm looking forward to having these be our vehicles for hopefully quite a while to come. They're cool looking trucks too. I think they look real mean. I like that in a truck. I, I, I'm not sure on the on the look side of things. Like I'm get, I'm coming around to them, and some of them when they're wrapped, I really love them. Like the Quaker State wrap looks really good. Ooh. Uh, but I I sort of I don't know. I'm probably not just a. I, I don't have a firm. I love how they look stance yet. I'm coming around <laughs> to it. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, we'll check in with that halfway through the season. See how see how they've grown on you. Sounds like a plan. Next up, uh, Smuckers, which brings with them Folgers and Folgers Morning Takeoff, is back, and I couldn't be happier because Folgers Morning Takeoff is, you know, one of the best parts of the morning. It's a <laughs> lifesaver sometimes. Yeah. You get down there. It's clutch that there are donuts. There is coffee and. A lot of times, that's the first thing you eat in the morning, and it's the only thing you eat until about noon. <laughs> yep, yep. And I know the anglers love it, too. Yeah. Nice, nice cup of joe before you head out. It's uh, it's super clutch, and I think that'll be a fun thing to have back this year. Glad they're, glad they're sticking around. Appreciate them. For sure. Now, Kyle, we talked about Toho a bunch, but we've still got to talk about Toho more. Yeah, we're not done yet. Um, what is... What, what, I guess, from Toho, or what are you looking forward to the most at this event? Oh, now that man. we're now that we're closer to it, not not just being warm because I'm sure <laughs> that's top of the list, but 
technique-wise, as far as what you think we're going to see, what's on the list for you? Uh, you know, A, I think it's going to be really cool for me personally to see Toho. I've been like around the Orlando area. I've driven on roads that are kind of close to Toho, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, so I'm pretty pumped just to like get out, you know, on the chain, I guess, too. Not necessarily just Toho, but um, I'm pretty amped at the whole sight fishing thing. Like if fish are full on on beds, I'm going to be – I'm not even going to be able to sure – I can't even talk right now. I'm not even sure I'll be able to focus on the job at hand of taking photos and tweeting uh, if I'm watching guys sight fish for like an 8, 9, 10-pounder. It's going to be – Super awesome, and I'm going to act like I'm five years old, I think. Yeah. I So I've sight fished a little bit in Florida, and I I missed like an 8, 9, or 10-pounder once. Um, and, man, it is – when you're sight fishing down there, like it's a it's a unique deal, and the fish down there are so – they can be so big, and that one oh, bite man. can be so critical. So I'm, I'm really looking forward and hoping that it turns into a sight fishing event, but – I think I'm also just looking forward to seeing sort of how the time management thing plays out. You know, what guys, where guys end up fishing, whether they're running all the way down, what they, how they catch their limits. Do they end up catching all their fish down in Kissimmee or, or hatch, Mm -hmm. or do they catch, you know, a few fish in Toho or do they get that lucky last minute eight pounder out of Toho after they came back just a half hour early, just to make sure. Like, I think, Seeing how it breaks down of where guys are fishing, but also just where, you know, where they're catching fish and what they're doing around that lock and that that key yeah. that time management aspect, I think is going to be really interesting from a from a sort of tournament perspective. Oh yeah, that's, I agree with you. That's something I'm really looking forward to. I guess another thing, and this might be this will probably change even as we get closer to the tournament, but. We're a little closer than we were when we first talked about fantasy fishing, which, by the way, fantasyfishing.com. Go there, set your team for Toho, get signed up. It's free to participate. There's money on the line. You're a fool if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how – are there any guys who you are now – either you regret not having on your team or you're feeling even better about having on your team as we get closer to it and learn more about the fishery? Well, I guess uh... – I guess I kind of, I got to state the obvious, but I'm going to say Van Soles. Um, I knew he was like a local, um, but I didn't really know. You know, you never really know what caliber local you're dealing with. I know in the past we've had a lot of guys sign up to fish, uh, you know, back when you could, uh, you didn't have to fish the whole tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could, you could drop out. We had guys that fish like uh, Ufala that were local and it kind of fizzled out because guys are kind of afraid of, you know, giving away their local spots. But Van just seems like he knows how he's going to catch them and that's how it's going to be. You know, he doesn't really care about what people know. So knowing what I know now after talking to him, I'm really kicking myself for not putting him on my team. Yeah, so I put both Van Soles and Captain Blake Smith on my team because I was pretty high on these guys ahead of time. I was like, you know what? I think they're about as local as it gets. I think that I think local knowledge plays better in Florida than it does a lot of other places as well. Oh, absolutely. And so that was one of my, you know, that was one of my reasons for picking these guys. And 
I am feeling even better about that as I get closer to this tournament. Like I talked to both of them for probably a half an hour yesterday and they have some serious knowledge about the fishery and just some of the intricacies that they mentioned, which, you know, from how you, from the spot on the spot aspect to, you know, where they saw guys clumping up in pre-practice and where, and you know, some these guys, you know, in pre-practice, especially Blake Smith, like he was, he was able to stay off a lot of his good stuff or come in on stuff and, you know, fish places that he knows are going to be good, but not fish the prime parts of it and see where other people are fishing. And it, it sounds to me, I think that these guys are going to have a bit of an advantage on the field. I know they may not be the uh-huh. caliber fishermen that an Andy Morgan, a Scott Canterbury, a, uh, a Troy Morrow is, you know, somebody who, you know, guys who can fish all over the country and can win all over the country, but I, and have fished at the pro level for a while. But I think as far as just being knowledgeable and being able to really exploit that, I like their chances down there. Oh yeah. I, uh, th- you know, the other guy that I just realized, cause I kind of forgot about who's on my team, but, uh, Peter T is on my team. I'm loving Peter T. And the more I hear about this, you know, the everything slow worm up, right? bite, the, the fact yeah. that there could be a really old school, just Florida worming type deal. Yeah. Yeah. It could get good. I could. And he's actually not even a bad sight fisherman either. So really, oh, yeah. whatever plays out, uh, I think for 22 bucks, Peter T is going to bring some money home for me. Well, not actual money, but really good points so that I can beat all of you guys. Now, I, I'm i not sure. I'm going to go check on this right now uh, because I want to – I, I sort of want to find out here But uh, as, as far as price-wise. But what do you think about Larry Nixon as a proposition? Because we know Larry Nixon is maybe – he's a top-tier, slow, creeping-it-along worm fisherman. Oh, yeah. And he loves fishing in warm weather. Like, if that's – Larry Nixon, he's 29 bucks. If that's the deal, like – do you feel like a Larry Nixon becomes a really good pick? You know, um, I say to that, I say probably. Okay. Let me give you some guys who are around Larry Nixon. All right. Uh, I'm going to start 31 Clint okay. Davis, 31 Robbie Dodson, 30 Jay Yellis, 30 Matt Greenblatt, 29 Casey Martin, 29, Larry Nixon. 29, Tony Davis. 28, Spencer Sheffield. 28, Austin Terry. Like, to me, oh yeah, I kind of like him better than that entire group. Yeah, I was going to say in that range, I'm on board with it. Now the, I think that's got to you, be your first pick. As soon as you get to 32, you get Wesley Strader and Tom Monsoor and Matt Airy and Lefebvre and Mark Rose and Drew Benton. And, like, I think those guys – you could absolutely make an argument to take them above Nixon, but I, yep. I'm start that little group there, you know, everything below 32 bucks. I'm starting to feel like if you're not owning Larry Nixon in there, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to end up making a mistake. Oh yeah. I, I I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't really know who was around him, but um, yeah, Ooh, man, could you imagine if that worm bite is going on? Yeah. I, he's, he's, he's going to crush him. He's absolutely one of the one of the best around as far as just what if if they're if they're there if it needs to be fished slow 
if it's if it's a type situation where you can't catch them fast, he mm-hmm. can catch them. Yeah, um, exactly. And and so I'll be I I kind of am starting to really like that. Uh, I guess one other thing we should talk well two other things we should talk about relating to Toho, coverage wise, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be great. We've as far, you know we've got pre tournament videos planned. We've got uh, we've got plenty of photography planned. Mm-hmm. You know we're gonna have I think two people on Toho and then one person on each of the other three main lakes. Probably nobody on Tiger Lake unless it turns out a leader ends up catching fish over right, there and we have to go follow him later in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think that should be that should work out really well. Um, we're gonna have the live, not live, but the uh, uh, the the Twitter feed that comes up on the website mm-hmm. at and also you know on Twitter. So that that'll be there. That'll exist. That should be should be a good place to be to you know, get some up-to-date information. We're kind of, we're taking a little bit different tack to this year. In the past, we really tried to we've sort of focused on uh, running around and putting a lot of updates up. And we're going to have probably a few fewer updates, but with a little more context to them and a little more of here's how guys are catching fish. Here's sort of some more general things. And yeah. That said, we're going to really ramp it up the final two days because without co-anglers, on the final two days, we're going to have observers in the boats, uh, or marshals is actually what we're calling them. And uh-huh. we'll be getting basically up to the minute information from all those guys on the final two days, which should really boost our here's what's happening minute by minute coverage oh, on, yeah. the, on the Twitter feed for that situation. It's going to be good. It, it really is. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to work out really well. And I think I think if people have liked how the Rayovac coverage has been so far this year, um, I'd say hold on to your pants for the tour coverage because it's gonna be it's gonna be sweet. Yeah, and you know we've been doing these midday updates for the Rayovac coverage. Once we get off the water, we get in, we sit down, we write a little bit about what's going on. We're gonna be doing that three times a day for the tour, which should be should be really good. It gives a gives a, a writer who's on shore a chance to. You know, call out to the other people and get a good synopsis of what's going on, how how the fish are being caught, what what te- what techniques are in play, yep. and I think that'll be a, a good addition as well. I'm excited. Oh, me too. Me too. Let's man. go to Florida. Podcast wise, we should have it for you either Wednesday night or Thursday morning, like we usually do. Uh, you know, Kyle and I, you know, Wednesday afternoon, will already both be in town. We're probably going to sit down somewhere around registration, record our usual pod- podcast, and uh, probably you know one or the other of us will sit down with an angler or two at registration. If you have any ideas for who you want, you can email that in at you know podcast at flwfishing.com and we'll maybe take that into consideration. I know we might talk to a guy from Kentucky down there, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we're going to be recording in Florida at Toho, but I think it should work out real nice. It's going to be good. I'm going to go ahead. I talked with Kevin Hunt yesterday about the upcoming FLW College Fishing Open. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play that interview, and then we'll be back with the BFL weekly update and a few other notes before we finish off. And now we're joined by FLW College Fishing Tournament Director 
Kevin Hunt. We're going to uh, get into the College Fishing Open that's coming up here in, you know, really, I guess about a month now. It is. It's uh, basically right in a month away. Uh, you know, this Open, it's it's on Kentucky Lake. It should be a really fun time. It's, uh, what are the dates again? They're March 20th? March 20th and 21st. It's going to be a Friday and a Saturday. All right. And then before we get into the sort of details around the Open, mm-hmm. What was the idea behind having it? Because the fact that we're qualifying people straight from the Open to the National Championship and giving away a boat in an Open, and it's not a, you know, a championship event, it's really a unique, it's a unique situation. So why did we decide to do this? Sure. Well, I tell you, Jody, for us, uh, we we always uh, uh, pride ourselves in being the the biggest and baddest when it comes to college fishing and and, and fishing in general. And for us, you know, there's been Opens around the – the college fishing circuit in general, and uh, this year we wanted to, again to expand our um, options. And for us, we got to thinking of what would be the biggest and, and baddest, and and what would be the best opportunity for us. And, and we thought, why not just try to try to do a, an open event and allow every uh, every school from every conference to come and fish this event. And again, while we're at it, we went ahead and threw some of the biggest prizes out there: a brand new Ranger Z117 with a 90 horsepower. And we also said, you know what, we're going to take the top tens directly to the national championship. For, so for us, it was just trying to do the biggest and best event that we thought would uh, appeal to these college anglers. And so far, it's definitely um, paid off, and we have had a lot of positive uh, feedback from it. So for us, we're excited about it. It definitely does something different uh, with a brand-new boat. Um, a, you know, college club is going to be taking home a boat. And then also the fact that, that you go straight to the national championship is something we've never done before. And uh, quite honestly, n- never never happened before in, in the college rankings or college circuits. So for us, it's it's a neat deal that we bypass all the, the, the regionals, conference championships, invitationals, or however you want to put it. So uh, going straight to the national championship, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, definitely as someone who fished in college, that's mm-hmm. that's my favorite part of it. Absolutely. The, the idea that you've got two days to go out and make a top ten, mm-hmm. which in the, in my mindset, that's not a it, – it's going to be a tough task because there will be a lot of teams in this event, but it's not an impossible task even on a lake you know, if you don't necessarily have a lot of experience in to go put things together, make the top ten, and then you don't have to worry about the rest of your summer. You can, yeah, that's you very can true. do all sorts of other things. You don't have to worry about trying to pre-fish a weird lake. You can just be dialed in and ready for the announcement of the 2016 National Championship. Or some tough fall fishing. We'll have to worry about that either. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for, you know, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's two days. That's another thing. You know, you got two full-filled uh, days. And to me, that's a, a big deal as well because, you know, you know yourself how tough it is sometimes to uh, to fish and make the top 15 or 20 on day one. You know, if you, if you only are behind six or seven pounds on Kentucky Lake, that's not bad. If you're sitting in 20th place, five or six pounds behind, you're very, uh, very close to uh, being in that top 10 on, on, on the final day on Saturday. So I, I think it's a great opportunity. Top 10 is not going to be that difficult. And if we have a great field, uh, everybody's going to have an awesome uh, shot at this. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great tournament. Okay. Now, as far as the fishing goes on Kentucky Lake, obviously right now we're in the deep freeze of all deep freezes. Yeah, I wouldn't advise going pre-fishing right now. <laughs> but we we have about a month to go here. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be there's gonna be time uh, to get on the water beforehand, and it should warm up, and we should have the fish start to move around. What what do you think are going to be some patterns and some things to look for, just to give people a little bit of a head start? 
Sure, I'll tell you. Um, you know, I, we live right here on this lake. I, I've, I've been fishing this lake for about uh, 11, 12 years now, and uh, I, all of uh, all of our guys here in the office, we all fish all the time, and, and I'm looking forward to it myself that time of year because that's the time of year I love to get out on the water myself. But, uh, you know, that time of year, once things start warming up, I, I tell you, they're going to start moving, the fish are, and they're, they're going to start looking for uh, for banks to, to get on. Well, I, I would think it's probably going to be pre-spawn. It might be pre-pre-spawn, but it's going to be uh, pre-spawn, uh, you know, activity going on and uh, what I'd recommend is definitely just looking for some 8 to 10 um, uh, whether it be drops points is, is b- big on this lake people looking for points and bays uh, you got you got to look for them uh, transitioning you know moving towards the back and um, they might be on river points they might be on you know big bays they might be back towards the back I mean they're going to be all over the place especially again if it keeps warming up and uh, the temperatures are you know in the in the you know high 50s to 60s I, I think I think it'll be a, gr- a great a great event you know, if I was throwing a, a, a bait, I would definitely try to try umbrella rig. Obviously, that time of year, it's going to be a good event uh, to try to use umbrella rig. I'd also try some of the Strike King, uh, you know, baits to go anywhere from 8 to 12. You know, you got your Series 4, your 3XD. Uh, you might even try the KVD HC flat side. And then there's always the 1.5, you know, the, if they even shallower or if they shallow, I'd definitely go with a square bill, square bill with a 1.5. But, you know, there are a lot of people that will be using a jerk bait as well, Jody. And, um, you know, being out on those big main lake points and, 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 and jerking a jerk bait. So there's a lot of opportunities that you can uh, take and say, this is a style of fishing I like to do. And, and you can stick with it or you can kind of move around a lot. So there's going to be a couple of different ways to catch them. But I think there it's going to be a... Um, I think it's going to be a slugfest. I really do, especially if it warms up. You know, you, you said you think it's going to be a slugfest. If if you had to guesstimate, and I understand it's a long way out, but mm-hmm. what sort of winning weights to win this new Ranger, what, what do you think it's going to take over two days? I, I think 15 to 17 for sure. Uh, I, I, if it warms up, I really think 20 pounds a day is definitely going to be, you know, first place or so. But uh, 15 pounds a day, uh, I think you need 15 pounds a day solid to even be c- close for a top 10. Okay. And the other thing that I'm kind of excited about for this tournament, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to be here. I'm going to yeah. be – well, it's not too bad because I'll be at Gunnersville and there'll right. be huge fish going on there. That's right. Uh but we're going to be covering this like we would a Rayovac, and if you've seen the Rayovac coverage this year, I feel like we've done a really good job of it as far sure. as you know, ramping up the on-the-water coverage. Absolutely. Uh, the evening stories, we'll have some eye on cameras there in action, yeah. and I think that'll be a neat, a neat thing that we haven't. We haven't really done for a while in college fishing. Yeah, for sure. And you know these guys, they uh, they all love uh, footage and coverage and love getting in front of the camera and smiling. So uh, I think it's good for the sport to uh, to do more coverage. And this event definitely uh, definitely is deserving of that. And uh, for these guys to uh, be able to put their name out there, to be able to put their school out there in uh, marketing and and uh, marketing their school, marketing their their uh, sponsors. And so I think it's a good opportunity to get out there and to um, to promote these guys, uh, I, I appreciate appreciate you guys uh, uh, allowing this to be one of y'all's key key uh, key key events that we're going to try to amp up and try to promote. Cool. And then, you know, I guess before I let you go, could you just give us one more time the rundown, uh, the when, the where, the how to register. All, all that good stuff so people, if they want to get on it, if they want to get in, uh, know what's happening? Sure, absolutely. Again, you can't only uh, sign up over the phone. We do not do it on the phone, but it's, again, open to every we, single sorry, school. Sorry, we don't do it online. We don't do it online. That's right. You have to do it on the, over the phone. You yeah. have to call in. And, uh, again, it's open to any school, any conference. And... Uh, 
It's going to be March the 20th and 21st, and that's a Friday and Saturday. We're going to have registration on Thursday, Thursday afternoon. That's going to be from 4 to 6, and uh, we'll do registration and probably have a, a, a little meal there, and uh, we'll have our, our meeting. And, and, again, it's at Moore's Resort, and that's a real neat place here on, on our, uh, in our hometown, our home uh, county. And uh, Kentucky Lake Convention Visitors Bureau is supporting this event. So we're looking forward to, to, to that. It'll be a daily takeoffs on uh, Friday morning, Saturday morning at 7 o'clock right there at Moore's Resort. And then we'll weigh in right there at Moore's Resort as well every day at 3 o'clock. So a, a good time, hoping for some warmer weather and some uh, big catches, Jody. All right, and there's no field limit on this, right? There is no field limit. We've had a few phone calls about that and say, hey, I you know, hope you still got some spots. We take as many teams as possible, and that's my my my, my uh, goal is 150, Jody, and that's what I want to do. So any school, any conference, no limits. All right, good stuff. And 10 spots in the 2016 National Championship, that's right. which is and the a, place to be. And a brand-new boat. There we go. Kevin, thanks for coming on, and obviously you. you know, good luck with that event and going forward. Thank you. Moving straight ahead. Into the BFL Weekly Update, we had just the one BFL over the weekend. It was on Okeechobee. It was in the Gator Division. Fred George caught 22 pounds, 7 ounces. I'm going to let him talk about how he caught them right now. My primary and secondary spot didn't produce due to cold water. I had to uh, pick up and run to plan C. I was, you know, locked into rim ditch and uh, I had a little hump of the rock pile on it that I knew had some fish on it. I you know, checked this practice and caught a nice fish and missed a fish so I left them alone and actually got rather surprised by the you know the being able to get five nice ones off of it. I knew I could catch five fish off it but I didn't realize I could catch five that were you know four pounds plus. You said you caught five fish for the day then? Oh no I caught a lot more than five. I caught two in my first spot that were nothing, and you know the keepers, but uh, that was about it. And nothing in my second spot. I went to this spot, and uh, actually, out of the first six fish I caught, five of them came to land on this on my third spot I went to, and then I caught a lot more, you know, three, three and a half, two pound fish, but you know they didn't weren't big enough to make it. In, you know, call one out. Fred George, he was fishing in the rim ditch on a little hump. He he didn't really want to reveal too much about where in the rim ditch he he was. He said he was fishing the northern half, but that he doesn't think a lot of other people fish this hump. So it's kind of a, or this, not not necessarily hump, but this particular rocky section. So it's kind of, he's keeping on the down low, which I can appreciate. I understand. And uh, he caught almost all his fish on a Carolina rigged green pumpkin zoom trick worm. I mean, it's as simple as it gets, and pretty dang cool. My <laughs> I, I like it too because you, you don't hear a lot about it from Okeechobee. You know, I, I I got kind of excited when I saw a guy was throwing a Carolina rig in a rim ditch on a rock pile. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I got the color wrong. It was a June bug, not June bug, green pumpkin. Yes. Uh, although I bet green pumpkin might have worked too. I uh, probably would have caught some on it. I mean, green pumpkin works everywhere. True uh, that. But yeah, so that was, you know, that was how he caught his fish. The weights were down a bunch all across. If you look at the, you know, if you look at how guys caught their fish, you know, there's a lot of 17 pound bags, a lot of, you know, low 20s. We definitely, there was some pretty consistent fishing, I feel like, because I think a lot more fish have gotten on into the post spawn phase now. But yep. it wasn't, it wasn't really, 
there weren't really a whole lot of really big bags brought in. Not a whole lot of really big fish brought in necessarily. It was it was tough, and that was because of the weather. I mean, it was it was bad. It was windy, and it was cold, and it had been that way for a few days, which mm-hmm. is not the way you want it when you're down there on Okeechobee. Bad deal. Yep. Uh, that said, still congratulations to Fred George, and I think uh, it was his first it was his first BFL win, so that's always a cool deal. Heck yeah. As far as BFLs this weekend go, we've got uh, Bama Division on Lake Eufaula, which, you know, it's kind of It could be an interesting preview for, not really for the tour, but just to sort of see how the lake's shaping up, to compare it to last year a little bit, and give us just a little more information around there. I would yep. think the fishing should be pretty good, especially if the weather is pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would imagine so. They're starting to make their way up, which is what you want to see. Uh, Cowboy Division event on Sam Rayburn. Uh, you know, Castle Nine, probably going to win that. Probably going <laughs> to catch over 30 pounds doing it, is my guess. <laughs> I saw a picture on Facebook of him with, I think, like a 37-pound limit maybe. Like Goodness he, gracious. Yeah, like he had like the day of his life, which he has like every other day. But <laughs> I I think that should be a pretty interesting tournament to follow on, on Rayburn. And then uh, the North Carolina division is fishing on Lake Norman, which, who knows, maybe Matt Airy will stay, fish that tournament, then drive down, win on Toho, just like he did for Beaver Lake last year. Hey, Thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I mean, stick with what works, you know? Maybe that's the recipe. Yeah, you got to have that limited practice time and fish a BFL the weekend before. Yeah. <laughs> it's key. Uh, no, but that one should be kind of fun. I mean, if the weather's decent, uh, they'll catch a lot of fish. And even if it's not, they'll catch a lot of fish because they love an A-rig on Norman. They love a jerk bait, and they've got the hot holes to work with. Uh, yep. So that should be – That's a, you know, we're probably not going to see like 25-pound bag win it, but we're going to see a lot of fish caught, and that's always a good deal. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, – you know, kind of moving on from that, we're, we're we're getting to the end here. I know for me, for my Toho prep, that I need to get flip flops. Like that's the one thing that I need to make sure happens because I don't Which have a. That I don't surprises have a me. I, I I've talked about this before, I think, but I just do not have a satisfactory pair. I bought a pair of like cheapo ones, and they don't cut it. Mm. And that's because they're cheap. Exactly. And so I got it in the next, probably I'll do it tonight. I'll, I'll make a decision on flip-flops and see. Otherwise, there's the option of hitting a Bass Pro on the way down. Because we drive through Nashville, there's a Bass Pro there. I could run in. They have a good selection of flip-flops. Ooh. So. Yeah, otherwise, do you order online? What would, what do you, what would you do? I, I would order, otherwise I would order online. And, okay. You know, I... Unless anybody has a real nice pair of size 12 flip-flops they want to lend me. Um, <laughs> which you probably don't because my feet real, really stink. Um, <laughs> and then if you liked them, you probably wouldn't get them back. So That's also true. Uh, but So I got to get flip-flops. What do you have to get finished up or done before Toho? Uh, I need to find where my shorts are. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what I did with them when we rolled into winter. And I am slightly concerned that I don't know her. I got some really nice, comfy pairs of, like, Under Armour, their Offshore Series shorts. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure where they are. And I'm getting a little nervous about it. Because if I can't find those shorts, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
Yeah, I hear you. See, I'm not... I like shorts, but I probably am not going to wear shorts too often when I'm down there. I'm probably going to go the sun pants route. Uh, okay. Just from okay. a uh, just from a sunburn perspective. Ah, uh, see, I like I like a little bit of sunscreen and a tan really easily. So, not as big a concern for me. Plus, I mean, you know, like I said, it was just negative fifty oh, I, this past I weekend. You. So I'm. I'm ready to bust open. I'm ready to let my legs, my pasty white legs, see some sunlight for once. The other reason I might tend toward pants is because if Kissimmee, which I'm set to cover at least the first day of the event, probably the second day too, if Kissimmee is anything like uh, Okeechobee as far as the bug situation, oh yeah, pants can come in handy. They can uh, because otherwise you'd be picking out, you'd be picking bugs off your legs for like six hours or so. Because <laughs> um, they just like get on there and don't get off. <laughs> See, I'm a big fan of the shorts, and then those frog tog bibs are going to be sweet because they're super light. So I'm a bibs guy over my shorts for the morning if it's a little cool or for the bug situation. All right. Well, here's the main deal. We're Not next week, but the week after, we'll give you guys a full update on what we wore while covering this event. <laughs> We're not even going to talk about who caught fish at Topo. No, we don't no we won't care. <laughs> That's not the situation we're interested in. We're going to talk about all what we were wearing, the apparel of choice. Yeah. And, and how it how it all worked out from a coverage standpoint. And of course, I'm sure we'll probably talk about that on social media too. And you can great segue there by the way. Thank you, Jody. Oh, good oh, good work. Yeah. And that's I think that's a couple weeks in a row you've had some good segues. I try. And you know, you can follow FLW on Twitter at FLW Fishing, on Instagram at FLW Fishing, on Facebook at FLWFishing.com, at YouTube.com slash FLW Fishing. Uh, you can, of course, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jody Blanco, and you can find Kyle on Instagram at Kyle Lumber. And don't uh, forget, you can contact us for ideas, uh, things you'd like to see on the show or you'd like us to talk about. Uh, at podcast at flwfishing.com. And I think that pretty much wraps it up, guys. Have a great that's week. that's it. You're not going to say see ya? Oh, oh I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was reading this email. <laughs> see ya. There we go. 